Well, what up, guys and girls? It's Bobby and Sean coming to you, recorded from New London, New Hampshire. Which, for those of you not familiar with New Hampshire, it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it was a uh, a little bit of a drive to get up from Boston. Uh, we had some significant traffic. I thought it was gonna blow my brains out on I ninety three North. But it was nice being in a city where you knew that the Philadelphia Eagles had been victors over in that great Super Bowl from two years ago. Absolutely, the only game that matters. And not the cheaters of New England with their videotaping skills. Yeah, but I still have a little bit in my heart for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. All right, minus that, guys, if you haven't figured out, we're Birds fans. Yeah. But the real reason we're up here in sunny New England is we have an awesome opportunity to meet with the Northeastern men's soccer team, and we're going to run them through a couple of drills and talk about leadership and nutrition. Yeah, pretty much we want to kind of take our Cronus mission and expand it and kind of expand it to the kind of the civilian side and take some of what we've learned from the military uh, and impart some of the wisdom that we picked up uh, to this young, impressionable soccer team and trying to help them in their journey. And I think the big thing we're trying to focus on, as was the case when we were in the military, is really identifying the idea that everyone is a leader. And that's really cliche to say for especially those of us that are in the military and have heard it over and over again. But for many individuals that will never put on the uniform, they might only get one or two opportunities in their lifetime. And if it extends into collegiate you know, athletics, you know, that might be just a third or fourth opportunity to really lead or have an impact before they enter the civilian world. Absolutely. So that's kind of what we want to do is kind of give some of the uh, the leadership skills and leadership uh, techniques that we picked up through the years in the Army and kind of impart to these young guys to kind of help with their journeys and their leadership journeys as well. Yeah, so it'll be a, a, a good time. I think their season looks pretty promising uh, given the return of a lot of good players, I mean, hopefully the Cronus Fit mission leaves a lasting impact on them and they take away some uh, some lessons uh, that they've learned beyond just what's on the soccer field. Absolutely. So before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to Paragon Recovery uh, for sponsoring us in the podcast. Uh, use the code Cronus15 for a discount. And then if you are military or first responder, uh, contact them directly for an additional discount. So uh, Cronus15, and then contact them directly for an additional discount. So I guess today, Sean and I want to talk about a little bit about mindset and identity building and what that means to us. And with identity building not being tied directly to a title, is the big one and one of the points that I've had to come to grips with especially since leaving the military and for many of us that day will come and how you view yourself and how you view others uh, for the large extent of your professional career was really based on a single word whether that was ranger officer leader whatever have you um, when you leave you know that that title is now subject to everyone else's interpretation and it no longer sits right on your chest or on your arm. Right. And I actually talked a little bit about this in one of my podcasts about uh, identity and the best piece of advice I ever got. But basically, we don't want to kind of tie ourselves to one aspect of an identity. So 
what I mean is we shouldn't tie ourselves to, you know, being I am a soldier or I am a ranger or I am a leader. Rather, we should kind of build our identities around characteristics. Uh, for example, I am the type of person that does hard things or I'm the type of person that chases excellence or I'm the type of person that is a good person. And it doesn't have to be very, um, I guess, directed or pointed, but it can be pretty broad uh, characteristics. But building an identity around something that you aspire to be to gives you a great framework and a kind of a frame of reference to establish how you want to live your life. And I think you've talked about the book Grit before on the podcast, but specifically highlighting the definition broken into two parts, both passion and perseverance especially when it comes to providing yourself, you know, ample room for, you know, what adjective you use to describe yourself. And I think perseverance is a great one to really leap from because it gives you an idea, not so much as your passions will change in life, but at the end of the day, if you can assess yourself um, and give yourself honest feedback that, yes, I am committed and I have some resiliency, then everything else can kind of follow in um, as you start progressing in life professionally after that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think having grit or perseverance is probably um, based on Angela Duckworth's book, uh, Grit. Uh, she says that, or she argues that grit is actually the most important factor in determining your life success. And it wasn't so much like innate talent or innate abilities. Um, when you control for, I guess we quote unquote control for innate skills or talent, uh, the biggest thing for people succeeding in the future isn't so much how smart or how uh, talented they were, but rather how hard they're willing to work uh, to accomplish their goals. And that's kind of the perseverance and passion aspect of it. You need both in order to have grit. You can't just persevere without passion because without passion, you can't really stick to a certain goal. Ended up being, um, you end up persevering and doing multiple goals at once whereas with passion if you have passion but you don't have perseverance you're not going to be able to stick to um or continue that goal to the end so like for example i think she uses uh if you have passion but not perseverance you pick up lots of small projects at once so like um around the house for example so you have passion to to fix your house up but you don't have perseverance so you start multiple projects like you'll start painting the kitchen one day but then the next day you stop that and move on to a different project like building uh, your kitchen or painting uh, your front door. Whereas, Oh, yeah. And then she also highlights the other example where she goes to a stonemason on a site and the guy says, I'm laying bricks. The next guy says, I'm building a church. And then the final guy says, I'm building the house of the Lord is, you know, her example of what level of passion each one of those people has and the vision that they have beyond their immediate uh view right i think that's like the uh a very important thing to have uh is the the vision and the overall how you fit into the picture uh so the other example is that if you have persistence or perseverance but not passion um you kind of just stick to something without really pursuing your passion uh and then when you're, if you're not passionate about something you're not really giving everything your your all so you might be sticking with something just for the sake of sticking with something even though it might not be the best uh, thing for you or for what you're trying to do. 
And if you don't want to take our word for it, take the word of a pretty bright man. Uh, his name is Teddy Roosevelt. He said, nothing in this world is worth having or worth doing unless it means effort, pain, and difficulty. I like that. But we talked about perseverance. I think one of the difficult things for a lot of people, especially in the military community, is they might identify that they have perseverance, but they face obstacles from their chain of command or their circumstances within units, training schedules, deployments, to really get to that passion. And, and a good example would be, you know, a lot of guys want to go to Ranger School. A lot of guys want to go to SFAS, but then when it comes down to a timeline that meets their unit's end goal, sometimes those don't line up. So, Bobby, how do you think guys can persevere through those obstacles to get to that end goal, their, their passion, their pursuit? I think it's all about perspective and kind of thinking about the journey. Uh, I think guys can kind of get wrapped up in the end goal and kind of miss the fo- uh, trees for the forest, so to speak. So a lot of guys, I think, and I'm guilty of this myself, of kind of focusing on the end goal, whether that's SFAS, RASP, or, you know, being an elite operator. But if you're doing that and focusing on the future instead of living in the present, I think you miss a lot of opportunities for growth, development, and really just being able to to really um, seize and being in the, living in the moment. Yeah, I would agree with that, too. And reminding guys especially if you're in the position of a leader that while you can better yourself and prepare a lot of the things that you're going to experience in your current unit are going to be the same things you will have to experience whether you're you're a member of an elite team or going through as a member of a team in a selection yeah absolutely i mean leadership is leadership it doesn't matter what unit you're in and the caliber of the guys you're surrounded with at the end of the day being a leader uh, you're a leader regardless of the circumstances, whether that you're in like a um, like a supply company or you're in an infantry company or you're in an SF team. If you're a good leader, you're going to be a good leader regardless of circumstances. And telling yourself that you're going to be a better person once you get the SF, that's lying to yourself and really lying to, um, to those around you and selling yourself short. We got a a lot of questions when we talk about identity, about an individual's identity before they get to some of these units. For instance, someone asked recently on one of the Q&As that we ran, what list A through Z things do I need to do uh, before I even join the Army to get into this unit? Or when I'm in the Army and just starting out, do I need to get to just to be in this unit? And do you think that people sometimes are giving themselves a laundry list of tasks that will never be accomplished, um, believing that it might be more complex than really it is? Yeah, I think, I mean, as as human beings, I think we have a tendency to analyze and create like steps or certain milestones to reach a certain goal. Uh, so I think a lot of people kind of fall into that trap of like planning everything out. But at the same time, though, like you can't really plan out life and things happen uh, without your control or without your input. And I always use the example of me getting into RASP and the Ranger Regiment. Like, I had no intention of ever going to Ranger Regiment. In fact, like the reason why. So based on my story, uh, I branched into FA from West Point with the intention of being quote unquote operational and doing like cool guy like doing operations without having to go to ranger school because I literally didn't branch infantry because I didn't want to go to ranger school. 
but it's funny because once I got into the into the army, uh, and and as an FSO, I was like, wait a second, all these guys at the Ranger tabs, they think they're like this hot shit, or like they think they're like really cool because they have a tab, but like really, I looked at them, looked at myself, and I really and saw that they weren't that much better than I was. They're not like a better leader, or more physically fit than I was. So I was like, you know what? screw these guys i'm gonna go to, to ranger school and prove that like it doesn't require you to be infantry to be to be ranger tabbed you don't have to be like this like super stud to be uh tabbed so i went to ranger school and i got my tab and at ranger school is when i learned about 75th ranger regiment like literally i had no idea what ranger regiment was until i got to ranger school and then like talking to some of the uh bat boys about ranger regiment and what they did i was like oh this is kind of cool like these seem like pretty uh pretty elite guys that i would probably like to be around so once i got my tab i actually dropped my packet for regiment like probably a month later and then went to rasp too uh probably four months after that so it's just like funny that um even if you have these best intentions and best plans of what you want to do in the military life happens and you never really know what will happen to you that kind of changes your perspective and steers you on a whole completely different path. And being an individual who used to identify with just the, the phrase, I am X, Y, Z, I am a ranger. That that's a really great example of an instance where, you know, when you pass ranger school, you can refer to yourself as a ranger. Obviously guys in the 75th have a, a much more emotional claim to that because of the unit that they're in and the history of it but nonetheless you've got guys that can go around and they can identify as a ranger and whether they are a wearer or a bearer says much more about them and that piece of cloth on their shoulder than the name would ever simply articulate and I think that is a really great example because I remember you telling me about you know that specific infantry lieutenant who just walked around with an air of arrogance because of completing a school and we don't know if he spent 124 days there or over 200 but the fact that he graduated was enough for him to feel empowered to act that way amongst you know individuals that would turn out to pass the exact same schools as him and then go on to serve in really elite levels of the military so i think that's just a really good point to hammer home the idea that when you identify yourself as a single title you might get wrapped up in other people's perceptions of what that means and you might not actually do it justice or you might not be doing yourself justice yeah um yeah 100 percent. like i think that uh if you get tied up and like thinking that you made it uh that's a very dangerous mentality like i don't think you can ever be satisfied thinking that you made it as xyz so like thinking that you made it because you have a ranger tab though doesn't mean that you made it because you have a tab that means that you, the work is just starting and that you have very high expectations to live up to. Oh, that's that's 100%. I think a lot of that, though, comes with maturity. And, and as you age and identif- identifying what those talents are that you really possess that are indicative of a, a broader context. And then with that, you know, as you age, your, identi- your identity will you know, certainly change because you gain perspective that you otherwise wouldn't have had. And I think that leads to things like empathy and ideas that as junior leaders, you kind of blinded by because you have a much more short-sighted goal in preparing an organization versus your senior leaders have a 
much more general view of getting to a point, but know that individually there has to be a collective presence amongst your soldiers and rangers. Yeah, and is that would you say that's like creating a unit culture? Oh, 100%. Yeah, you got to have a unit culture because you've you've served in units. I've served in units where the guys don't have buy-in because it has not been cultivated from the upper echelons that either their personal lives matter or that the mission isn't important enough for them to take time away from their families to invest in whatever the, the next training cycle is. And then there are units that are phenomenal and when you say you'll always be a member of the first, second, third Ranger Battalion, you really feel it because everyone that's there is so bought in to the mission and that brotherhood and, and that regiment. Uh, I think we're going to take a quick break because Sean and I are outside right now and getting eaten up by mosquitoes. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break and come back to you in a couple of minutes. All right. We're back now and inside, and since we're on the topic of identity and we haven't gotten into identity politics yet, let me just tell you, I'm a pissed off man right now. I am covered in bug bites, Bobby. So that was great that we were out on the Adirondack chairs, but I am destroyed. Yeah, I didn't think there'd be uh, so many mosquitoes up here in North uh, New Hampshire. Yeah, live free or die is not a really good motto for your state when you're swarming in uh, in bugs. So thank you, Founding Fathers, for that tidbit. Yeah, like I, uh, I know for myself, I get eaten alive by mosquitoes. Uh, I think it has to do with blood type. What, what's your blood type? O positive. Me too. I think, I actually, th- I'm pretty sure. Did we just become best friends? Maybe. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think that uh, I, I have this theory that mosquitoes like O, o blood for some reason because whenever I hang out with people, I always get bit more, and they, if they don't have o, if they don't have o blood, they get bit less. So I think there's like a thing with o blood with the mosquitoes like more. Well, that's crap. And I don't, I haven't done the research into it yet, but I have a suspicion that o blood causes uh, or attracts mosquitoes. I just write states off that have really bad bug problems. So sorry, Florida, as if that was like one of the many excuses that you might have not to visit the state. Uh, New Hampshire, you're you're now off the list. Yeah, so like New Hampshire is pretty nice in that it's like really green, but it's like uh, not much around here. No, I'll uh, I'll stay in New York. Yeah, and I'll stay up in Washington State, <laughs> not Jersey. Cause fuck Jersey, that's why. <laughs> but go birds, go birds. But fuck Jersey. Uh, so, anyways, uh, before we left, we took a break. We we're kind of talking about. Uh, building like unit cultures and building um, like unit identities. I think it might be like easy uh, if such a culture or identity exists like we had in Ranger Regiment. We had such a culture of like uh, type A personalities of guys that like pushed each other to be the best that they could be. Uh, Not only to like serve the mission but also for each other. Like I've never been surrounded by such high caliber men uh in my life no i was completely taken back i mean going through ranger school the same thing you meet the guys coming out of the ranger battalions and i had two from third and i remember leaving just completely blown away by the professionalism the fact that they had worked from 
my vantage point, significantly harder to earn a spot to that school than simply matriculating through, you know, iBullock to get there. And then while we're there, we're so knowledgeable on things way beyond that Ranger handbook. Was really impressed. And then getting out into the regular Army, uh, getting some experiences with other uh, special operations units, and then really just being able to identify what you know, the 75th meant was uh, really special. And then obviously getting there and serving was, you know, the highlight of my military career. Yeah, definitely the highlight of my military career and probably of my life. Like, I don't know what I'll do in the future that will really um, take that, take that, uh, I guess, like period of my life away or like challenge that um, level of uh, excellence that I had in my life then. I think it also goes back to almost every single individual that was there, whether you were a rifleman, a grenadier, the saw gunner, the machine gunner, it didn't F-O. matter. FO. <laughs> it didn't matter what position you were in. You always felt like your job was in jeopardy and that at any time some helicopter could land, pick you up in the middle of the night. This is obviously like metaphorical and just take you out of the organization and you would never be welcomed back. So it, it was very stressful, but it was a stress that was induced by that professionalism and that excellence yeah yeah definitely like uh i think back to i wrote about this in one of our posts about earning it yeah and uh how literally every day you had to earn your right to be there and it wasn't like you could just show up every day and just you know check the boxes of you know i'll just show up i don't know if i'll do pt because i don't think i have to do pt you know, I might not go to the range because it's not that important. Um, or I might not do this, like, training plan because, you know, it'll get done eventually. No, like, every day you had to show up and prove that you belonged in the organization. And I think that's very, I think, kind of rare in a lot of uh, organizations, not just in the military, but just in general. Like, too many, a lot of people just show up and expect to kind of check the box and just coast on by. But There's too much apathy for sure from everyone. And I think that the guys that have served in organizations where there is a pride, there's an esprit de corps, you got to find a way to bring that to your unit. And an, an example would be when I was at 1-8 Cav as a brand new uh, PL, everyone hated the unit. Nobody was proud of the unit emblem. Um, and then slowly but surely, the company started building itself um, and earning a reputation. And then... You know, I think that started growing by the time I left to be more of the battalion's mantra and mission. But you have to really get guys to buy in. And if you as a leader are not bought in and you think that you're hiding it, you're not. The guys will definitely see that you could care less about what that patch is that is on, you know, your left arm. And then eventually, if you have an opportunity to deploy, if that patch on your right arm isn't the unit you want it to be, people are going to see that level of passion in you. Yeah, I think that, uh, so you're saying like kind of be authentic and actually care is what you're trying to say. Absolutely. You have to be authentic. You have to buy into an organizational culture. If it doesn't exist, you have to make it. Guys are going to want to follow you if you can set the bar high for them. Mm -hmm. But it's not just like setting the bar high, but it's like showing that you care about them and what you guys are doing. Absolutely. And, And if you're not dedicated to making the training environment as realistic as possible for whatever branch you are, then 
you know, you're just doing a disservice to the guys because they'll get more out of training when they see their leaders fully engaged. Yeah, because I know we've had some guys ask us about like creating unit cultures and creating like a culture around PT, and guys always ask us about like what we what we did to to really create that culture of excellence in our organizations. And if you don't have that culture to begin with, I think it kind of starts with you as a leader to create that culture and to establish the culture. Absolutely. And, you know, doing simple stuff like don't have a platoon T-shirt for PT. Don't even have a company T-shirt for PT. You need to have a battalion T-shirt. That that battalion T-shirt should be worn with pride. It's one of those things where, like, if you were to fall out of a run, you make that guy take that shirt off and he's wearing the basic Army shirt. And as the baseline requirement, you make fitness that priority for the element so that everything else builds around this because I you look at really great organizations that everyone always wants to talk about whether it's the Ranger Regiment uh, the Green Beret the Navy SEALs CAG all those guys have a fundamental level of fitness that is so far above the average that everything else that they face afterwards when it comes to their technical skills are solely that focus and they don't have to worry about ever making it to the objective because they've committed themselves to that baseline standard of fitness. Yeah. Yeah. Like we always preach like fitness should be like the very base of your pyramid. Like around, if you don't fit, if you're not physically fit, you can't do anything else in the military. So that should be the very foundation upon everything else is built. And if you're wondering, uh, here's an unsolicited plug since you're listening to the Kronos Fit podcast if you as a leader don't have an idea of what that PT plan looks like, check out under our free page uh, a three-month supply of squad fitness that's also tailored towards weapons, communication, and first aid to really give you a very holistic approach to preparing your guys for a training event uh, beyond just fitness. Yeah, and I think like even as you as a leader, if you're not very comfortable programming a PT plan, I'm sure there are guys in your in your ranks who would feel comfortable doing that. Um, I know that like a lot of time as um, I guess like lieutenants or as like junior leaders, you probably don't have the experience or really the knowledge to implement a PT plan. Uh, so I would either look to us. We have the like Sean said the programs that we have already pre pre written. So as an example, uh, from which you can build upon. But then. Uh, really challenge yourself and try try for yourself and see how, what you can do to program and then try your own physical fitness programs uh, and see what works and what doesn't work for your groups. At the end of the day, though, you just have to define what that end state is. If your guys need to be prepared to go ruck through the mountains of you know southern and eastern Afghanistan, you should probably do something that incorporates like building the legs because the legs feed the wolf. But if you're just preparing for an APFT, then your focus is going to be much different, maybe more cardio centric and not so much focused on functional fitness, you know, going over very uh, difficult and challenging terrain. Right. And that's like the uh, that's like with any training plan, having like a goal in mind and then creating and working towards that goal, whatever it is. Yeah. So. Thus far, just to recap things that we've talked about, we talked about personal identity and not just simply uh, objecting yourself, object, objectifying yourself, 
to one title, one word, you know, a summation of who you are, make it more broad, include, you know, several action verbs for what you view yourself capable of doing. Uh, and then we also talked about building a unit culture and a unit identity beyond what others may see um, because of, of your commitment and your buy-in. Right. Um, as always, guys, uh, I think we'll wrap up this podcast. Uh, I know Sean and I are completely grateful and really thankful for all you guys listening to us and really uh, giving us the opportunity to kind of teach and share some of our insights. Uh, as always, we are looking for feedback or, or any criticisms that you have, positive or negative. I know that we have pretty thick skin, so whatever you guys think. Mine's from mosquitoes. Yeah, mine's just from being. Uh, actually, I won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, get it. Hit us up with seriously. Hit us up with any criticisms that you might have, positive or negative, uh, and things that we can do better. Or what you guys want to see in the future. Um, it's always we're always working towards bettering ourselves and uh, getting the organization better. So as always. Hit us up on uh, Instagram at Chronosfit, online Chronosfit.org, or email us at, at hq at Chronosfit.org. Or subscribe to the podcast and look for the Weekly Dispatch and Brain Body Bobby for all information pertinent to you as an athlete, uh, as a soldier, and as a person. Yes, and leave us a five-star review, and we will read it out loud. Peace!